put whatever you've got, throw 10 bucks in there, just say, hey, you're important, you're valuable, and God's thinking about you. Yeah. Uh, well, this morning we're here uh, for the reason of Easter. Some people, they don't go to church any other time during the year. They're just like, I got to make sure I make Easter and I'm good. I fill my quota. And, uh, but this is a, a, a very important time, very important season. This Passion Week that we've been celebrating, uh, the life the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the sacrifice that He's gone through on behalf of all mankind. Not just people who sit in the pews in church, but actually one could argue maybe even more so for those who don't sit in the pews in church. Uh, because He was seeking those that were lost, seeking those that didn't know Him, seeking those that were far from Him. And he was reaching, touching, and he was loving, he was forgiving people on a regular basis. And a lot of times it was the church people who were sitting in the pews back in that day who had the biggest problem with what Jesus was doing because Jesus was developing a reputation of being this guy who hung out with people that church people kind of tended not to not hang out with during that time. Now, there wasn't any church, as we know, during that time, but we're talking about the religious system, and that religious system is still alive and well, unfortunately, in churches and in non-church people all across America and around the world. Because religion is not just a church thing. Religion is a human being thing. And God, through Jesus Christ, came to set us free from those types of systems, from those types of mindsets, so that we could truly walk in freedom. We'll get into that a little bit. But without resurrection, there would be no us. There'd be no reason to celebrate. Uh, There would be no Christian faith. There'd be no hope to look for. There'd be no flowers to put on somebody's doorstep. There wouldn't be. If Jesus had merely just died, stayed in the grave, all this would just be smoke and mirrors. It'd just be a nice idea, a good sentiment, maybe a nice holiday. But everything that we look at in terms of the life that we see in God, God is redeeming. He is restoring. He started it in the context of time and history He started that work through Jesus. There was no hope up until that point. And then Jesus, in His love, He invades. So this resurrection is what all of creation has been waiting for. A little backstory on this. This story of intrigue, betrayal, good and evil. You know, it's the stuff of great narratives and epics. And uh, But this is about an ultimate rescue. An ultimate rescue. The maiden in distress who needed to be saved. Because God says that He's coming back for this collective people that He has had in His heart since before the foundations of the earth. And He's coming back and He calls that group of people His bride. Jesus is after a bride and He's coming and He started this rescue 2,000 years ago. The Bible makes it clear that God created mankind and the world perfect. 
In other words, mankind was inherently, by creation, good. No longer. What happened? Sin came in through the first human beings, Adam and Eve, disobeying God, betraying Him. And they broke this covenant relationship that He had made with them. It's humans wanting to live life on their own terms. That's tough. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. Right? We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We make our own rules, live by our own code. But this God who is all-loving is just and He is holy as well. We can't take that away from Him. Their sin pollutes the entire human race. Like why, why were we have to, to take the fall in a sense for what Adam and Eve, the first human beings, did? It's like they're the ones who disobeyed. So what do we try and do? Ever since that time, mankind has been trying to fix ourselves. And we do it all the time. We're propping ourselves up with self-help and this faith and this idea and, and whatnot. But it's, we can't save ourselves. And I think we're all, if we're really honest, all of us know we can't save ourselves. We try, we try, we try. But we can't do it. Not only that, but as Tyson was talking about, the hopelessness, the hopelessness of attempting to save oneself, trying to earn this right standing with God. And he says, I'm the only one who can provide that, that right standing. Apart from Jesus, we are spiritually dead, eternally separated from God. The thing too is that, you know, the whole thing of trying to better ourselves or do good things or do right things to try and earn. But we, we realize that it's not sinful acts that we do that have separated us from God or keep us. So even on our best day, we don't have enough, do we? Because we are systemically, constitutionally as a person, we are polluted, we're flawed, we're stained by sin. The Apostle Paul, uh, just, we can all identify with what he says when he, and he says in Romans 7.15, I don't understand my own actions. I, 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 do, I don't do what I want. I do what I don't want. I do the very thing that I hate. Anybody resemble that comment? Okay, those statements. I do the very things that I don't want to do. So, in terms of Easter, why we're celebrating? Because every area that has been influenced by sin in culture and in our lives, we prayed for it this morning, every area that has been affected by sin, that's been ripped off, things that have been stolen, now becomes a target of resurrection power. The resurrection life of Jesus. That's why, we're, that's why we're here. That's why we've been called by God. So we get to aim His resurrection life at anything. Sickness, death, any type of sin, anything. God's healing, lifing power in the name of Jesus. We can never say that this area of my life or this area in culture is too big for God to redeem. 
As soon as we give in to that, it's over. We become useless, basically, to God. He rose again so that we could release His resurrection life to others. Where are the things that God has called you to point and aim and release His resurrection power into hopeless, dead situations? We all know Him. We all have those people in our life and He's, he's reaching through our lives to others. Lifing marriages, lifing relationships. It's resurrection power. Every person is a person of faith. Right? Atheists, agnostic, disciples of Oprah, whoever it is, we are all people of faith. We can't help it. We believe and we put our hope, our faith in someone or something. We all subscribe. Every single human being subscribes to a gospel. It may not be written down necessarily. Because the gospel that we live by is one that's in our hearts. It just depends on which one it is. What is the gospel that we subscribe to? Jesus claims that His Gospel has the power to save. Jesus made it very clear. He says, I am the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Most of us are familiar with the different books of the Bible, some of them more than others, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are these Gospels that tell us and describe uh, this story about Jesus and when He came, His birth, how He lived, who He lived with, who He interacted with, who He focused His resurrection power on. In Luke 24... All the different Gospels reach their climax with the resurrection, which is this epic of all of history. Let's pick it up in uh, chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke. But very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone covering the entrance that had been rolled aside. This stone is enormous. This took... Uh, quite a few uh, Roman soldiers to put this thing in place. If you get into who are these men, there's a couple guys here that they're going to... So they went in, but they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were puzzled trying to think what could have happened to it. Suddenly two men appeared to them. These are angels. Clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed low before, bowed low before them. Then the men asked, why are you looking in a tomb for someone who's alive? Why are you looking in a dead place, a place for dead people, dead things, and the one that is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. That he would rise again on the third day. Powerful, powerful stuff. In other words, the grave cannot hold even human beings that had been lifed by Jesus. 
If you have been lifed by Jesus, in other words, you have received Jesus. He's come to you and he says, I want to be Lord of your life. I want to life you. I want to give you eternal life. There's no grave that can hold that person. Father God takes Jesus and he puts his resurrection life that cannot ever die, even though this body will die in this earth, into people like it, people like us. So not only will we not die, we will live eternally, but he's also come to take away the fear of death. I love what Hebrews chapter 2 says. He says, Jesus became a human being in flesh and blood. That he could not, and he could not die. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who had lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus' resurrection life changes our entire perspective on our life, on our culture, because we have to be careful, because a lot of times what we can tend to do is make the resurrection life of Jesus very, very personal. And it is. It is that. But it extends so much more beyond that. We look at our culture and we see so much death. So much destruction. We see it in our political leadership. We see it in business, business ethics, marriages, parent-child relationships. Jesus allows the sons and daughters of God to view all of these things new like He does. Through the lens of Jesus' resurrection life, through redemption, through renewal, through restoration, through grace, through love, through justice, through mercy. Man, this is where His life comes through His people in the earth. There's no plan B. Sons and daughters of God, there's no plan B. He desires to reach, touch, love, and forgive through you to this world that is desperately seeking for answers. Let's look at a couple days leading up to the crucifixion. Jesus is doing something that He's done all His life, which is to celebrate the Passover meal. So earlier this week, Some of you, many of you celebrated Passover. This is the otherwise known as the Last Supper where Jesus is going to have communion with His guys, the guys closest to Him. And they celebrate this meal. And again, what is this? This is celebrating um, going back several thousand years where God passed over, the angel of death passed over. Remember they put the blood on the doors, on the doorposts, the lentils. And at the foot of, their, of the door, representing Jesus' death on the cross, it was a foreshadowing thousands of years later of what Jesus would do. This is the meal that all God's people are commanded to celebrate, the gift of salvation. This is the meal of our salvation. Jesus dying for us and passing the the angel of death passing over our lives and he bringing life to us this is such a powerful picture as jesus would take the bread just as we have this morning 
our representation of the bread. And he would take the cup and he says to his guys, he says, I want you to take this and I want you each time you take it, I want you to remember, here's my body and he breaks it and he gives it to them. This is my blood. It's going to be shed for you. I, I'm going to, I'm going to break and I'm going to, as a result, I'm going to mend the world. Everything that's been broken is now going to be healed. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden for a moment. This is the picture of Jesus reversing the curse that resulted from Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. What happened there? It was some sort of fruit, but basically Satan in the form of a serpent handed them something to eat that God had said, I forbid you to eat of this. And they took and they ate. And so Jesus is now giving, extending this to mankind. And in so doing, by breaking off His life, He's now reversing the curse of take and eat. The same words basically that the serpent had said, take and eat. He is now reversing this. In, as He's doing this, as Jesus is, is breaking off Himself as He's crucified, you're literally, you can almost see going back in time, Jesus, He's extending His hand to Adam and Eve again, and He's saying, come on back into the garden. Come on back into the garden. The tree that then you were forbidden to eat from, the tree of life, which is Jesus Himself, now He's going to die on a tree. And He's going to extend that life again to mankind. All these things are being reversed. All the things down through history that have been broken, that have been um, denied, that have been um, taken away from mankind. Can you imagine? They had, they had eaten from the tree of life. Can you imagine as they were then expelled from the garden because of their sin? And Adam and Eve starting to see, along with Cain and Abel and different ones, starting to see death for the first time. Nothing had died before then. Plants now start dying. Animals start dying. The first human being dies. Why? Because they were separated from the tree of life who is God Himself. That's why we get so excited. That's why we celebrate like we do. Jesus would do for mankind what Adam could never do and what we can never do on our own. Take and eat. That's Jesus' invitation to us. You're like, what? Take and eat of like flesh and blood, body? Take and eat of the life of Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke 22. The Garden of Gethsemane, this was a garden where there were many olive branches, olive um, trees, and this is where the olives would be crushed. This is where Jesus would experience such immense anguish prior to going to the cross. This is the place where He would uh, make the statement, if this cup, if there's, if there's a, a, a different way, if this cup could pass from me. 
But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Here he is reversing this curse that Adam brought in the garden when Adam resisted the will of God and followed the will of the enemy. Now Jesus is going to restore our ability to do the will of God. To do the will of God. I want to take just a moment and this, this is a great opportunity. We need to do it more than just this time of year, but I want to take an opportunity just to recount what Jesus went through on the cross. It's so important for us to rehearse this because, you know, in, in our culture, and, you know, this isn't, if, if anybody has, if you're wearing jewelry or something like that's a cross, don't hear it in the wrong way. But, you know, we, the cross has become a nice fashion statement. People wear them, you know, all the time, and it means absolutely nothing to them. It's just a, a fashion symbol. It's just a, you know, because I'm American, I'm a Christian, you know, and Jesus didn't die just for Americans, and just because we're Americans doesn't mean we're Christians, right? But uh, that can be a tendency in a lot of parts of the world, you know, just I was, I was raised this way or whatever, but I want to recount this again, the intensity of the cross. When Jesus, or when any criminal, uh, which the Roman empire was very good at executing and they did this on a regular basis anybody who was deemed as a terrorist or a dissenter uh, against the roman empire would uh, be crucified hung on a tree and they had they were very good at what they did and there were particular women who uh, it was their job to uh provide some anesthesia to those they you could actually request if you were the one you know hanging on a tree you could request do you remember when the when the 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 vinegar was held up to jesus you know and as a mockery of that but these women were very kind because it would help deaden some of the pain that they were experiencing jesus was offered this anesthetic twice once before his crucifixion and once while he was dying on the cross. In both situations, Jesus turned down the offer and refused to drink it. He knew he had to fully consume this cup the Father was going to have him drink. Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, described crucifixion as the most wretched of deaths. It was viewed with such horror that... uh, Suicide was very much preferable to the crucifixion. Once the offender reached the place where the crucifixion was to occur, he was laid on a crossbeam that he carried with his arms outstretched. Then a soldier would drive a five-inch iron nail through each of his wrists into the crossbeam. After being nailed to the crossbeam, the victim was hoisted up by a rope. The crossbeam was then dropped into a notch on top of the upright post. This is graphic as I'm going to describe here, but I I want you to remember, I want us to be able to remember that the cross isn't just this nice, shiny thing. It's not this soft thing. It's not just, oh, I'll just embrace my cross and go without caffeine today. Okay? Um, When the crossbeam dropped into the groove, the victim suffered excruciating pain as his hands and wrists were wrenched by the sudden jerking motion. 
than the weight of the victim's body caused his arms to be pulled out of their arm sockets. Josephus writes that the Roman soldiers, out of rage and hatred, amused themselves by nailing their prisoners in different postures. When the victim was nailed to his cross, the nails were not driven through the palms, but through the wrists. Once the wrists were secured in place, the feet came next. First, the victim's legs would be positioned so that the feet were pointed downward with the soles pressed against the post on which the victim was suspended. A long nail would be driven between the bones of the feet, lodging firmly enough between those bones to prevent it from tearing the feet of the victim arched upward, gasping for breath. In order for them to breathe, he had to push himself up by his feet, which were nailed to the vertical beam. The pressure would become unbearable. It was impossible for them to remain long in this position, and they would collapse back into a hanging position. The shoulders, after collapsing up and down, pressing themselves upward and then coming down, the shoulders would eventually dislocate and pop out of joint, followed by the elbows and wrists. Dislocations caused the arms to be extended up to nine inches longer than usual. Until they were so exhausted they could no longer push themselves upward on the nail that would lodged in their feet, the process of asphyxiation would begin. Jesus experienced all of this torture. When He dropped down with the full weight of His body on the nails that were driven through His wrists, it sent excruciating pain up into His arms registering horrific pain in his brain. Adding to the the torture was the agony caused by the constant grating of Jesus' recently scourged back against the upright post every time he pushed up to breathe. They made these, these trees that they were hung on jagged on purpose. Due to the extreme loss of blood and hyperventilation, the victim would begin to experience severe dehydration. We see this process in Jesus' own crucifixion when He cried out, I thirst. After several hours of this torment, the victim's heart would begin to fail. Next, his lungs would collapse and excess fluids would begin to fill the lining of their heart and lungs, adding to the slow process. When the Roman soldiers came to determine whether or not Jesus was alive or dead, again, remember, these guys are experts at death. They thrust a spear into Jesus' side. Jesus was already dead. Typically, what they would do for the typical criminal, as you can remember, is to come and break the legs right at the knee. Then they would collapse. They would no longer be able to hold themselves up and they would just suffocate. This was not necessary for Jesus. Jesus died the lowest, the most humiliating, debasing, shameful, painful method of death in the ancient world. When we fail to remember what it cost Jesus to die on the cross, we tend to treat our salvation cheaply 
and with disregard. This forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us is, is unbelievable. It's difficult to even grasp what He has done on our behalf. And this forgiveness affects us in the way that we relate to others. Forgiveness is humiliation in and of itself. I mean, think about the process of forgiving someone or receiving forgiveness. It's, it's a stooping down. It's a, uh, a restoring. See, God sealed His own fate, guaranteeing His own humiliation when He forgave a sinner. I mean, think about this, this guy who's on the cross next to Him. Today you'll be with me in paradise? I don't even remember him asking. There's nothing in the text that says he said, you know, forgive me. He said, remember me. Jesus was extending and is extending today forgiveness. Luke 6, as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, talking about how God in His mercy, in His goodness, is reaching out to the wicked and the ungrateful. He's reaching. He's extending. He's initiating to us. Why forgive? To save us and to secure for us forgiveness. Forgiveness is always humiliating. It's exactly why we often find it so difficult to forgive others. We don't want to have to go through that humiliation ourselves of forgiving someone, especially someone who we deem doesn't deserve it. Did we deserve it? Did those people who were were crucifying Him, did they deserve it? Oh, especially not them. When we forgive someone, we surrender real power that God has given to each one of us. We have the power to withhold forgiveness from others. Oftentimes we'll try and manipulate and hold that power over people rather than extending and reaching the way Jesus has with us. We're giving that power back to someone with a track record, someone who has already hurt us. But that's what resurrection, that's what Easter, that's what this is all about. About God forgiving and allowing Him to forgive others through us. Receiving God's forgiveness and giving forgiveness to other people. So there's bad news. The bad news is we deserve death. The good news is is that God has made a way for us to be saved. And it's not the Easter bunny. I'm not against the Easter Bunny. I like the Easter Bunny. We've got Easter Bunnies at home. We've got peeps, the whole deal. But that's not the way that God has made for us to be saved. By embracing Jesus as our Passover Lamb, the slain Lamb, we then we cross over from darkness to light. I want you to imagine that darkness to light. Areas of darkness in our lives. Sin to righteousness. 
Sometimes it's difficult to even appreciate it. You know, I was born on the pew. Okay, not this one, the one over at the other building. But I was born on that pew practically. Knew about God. Grew up around the things of the church and, and whatnot all my life. It's so easy to become familiar with these things. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We must rehearse these things. They must come alive. The resurrection power of Jesus must come alive again. We must re- restore to us the joy of our salvation. The joy of being forgiven. Jesus, You forgave me. Why? Because You love me. Why do I, you know, sing and dance like a crazy person up here? I'm just a little bit in touch. Just a little bit. Just going, oh my word, I I can't help but move from where I am toward where He is. I don't know where He is. He's right here with us, though. Bondage to liberty. Oh, bondage to liberty. To see the captive set free. Defeat to victory. Fear to faith. Fear to faith. How many desire that fear to faith? Sickness to health. Death to to life. This is the power of Easter resurrection. Come on. Jesus says in John 11, 25-26, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and life. Jump up, will you guys? I am the resurrection and life. Those who believe in me even though they die like everyone else, will live again. Did you catch that while you were standing up? I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish. And Jesus asked this simple question to Martha, who he's talking to at the time. Do you believe this? What's the question we've been asking as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Where have we placed our faith? Where have we placed our faith? I want to read this from 2 Corinthians 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to uh, a group of believers, church in Corinth. And he says here, As God's partners, we beg you not to reject this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For he says, at just the right time, I heard you. Who knows when that time is, but at just the right time. At just the right time that He chose. At just the right time I heard you. Those of you who are believers, who Jesus is Lord of your life, you're going to experience as you go forth from here, a just the right time. A just the right time. Whether it be at your school, whether it be at your workplace, you're going to experience a just the right time that God has ordained for you to be a catalyst, to be a conduit of His love. You're going to be a hug to somebody who desperately needs it. 
a touch, a reach, whatever it would be. You're going to be a smile to someone. That maybe that morning, you've heard the stories before, there, there are all kinds of crazy things where it's like, you know, God, if you're real, somebody throws a test out to God. If you're real, just have somebody smile to me. I haven't seen somebody smile in a long time. Otherwise, I'm going to take my life. That could be you. So he says, at just the right time, I heard you. This is Jesus saying, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. Where have we placed our faith? Have you experienced currently the resurrection power that Jesus offers to all of mankind? Jesus says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And that transaction happens as you believe in your heart and live your life that way. You will be saved. You will be saved. It's His gift to all of us. Amen. Jesus, this is all about You. Everything points to You. Father, the way that You gave Jesus, You gave Your only Son because You loved so much. You gave an extended eternal life. You've said, come and eat of Me. The tree of life. To see lives restored. Brought back to You. I want to give an opportunity this morning, if that is you, and you sense the drawing of the Holy Spirit, could just be a sense of feeling, whatever it would be, but you, you just, you know in your heart that God wants to pour His resurrection life into you. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. I just want to be able to agree with you. Just lift your hand. Say, Jesus, I want your resurrection life in me. Maybe for the first time. Jesus, I know that you're real. I know beyond what my mind is able to compute because it's a thing of faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and lifing us. Maybe, it's, maybe you're here and you've confessed with your mouth, but your life has not reflected that the throne, room, the throne room of your heart, the rulership of your heart has not been turned over to Jesus. There's been a confession with your mouth, but your life doesn't reflect that. And you want to say today, I give you the rulership of my life. Because it doesn't say if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Savior, it says Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord and King. But there hasn't been that allegiance. And you know that though you've been around the things of God, maybe just like me as you've grown up around the things of the church or you've heard things about the church and whatnot and you've tried to live a good life, but you know that you're not born again. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. 
You just want to say, I want to surrender the lordship of my life so that my life lines up with my confession. If that's you, you want to do that today, I want to give that opportunity. Just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Amen. Lord, we do, we surrender our lives to you. We don't want to just speak those words with our mouth. We want our life to line up. We receive that gift of grace, the free gift of salvation. We don't have to earn that you earned on our behalf. Amen. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your sacrifice. Father God. Amen. Have an amazing Easter. Uh, I trust you, you'll be with family and friends. If you're not, you need to get with somebody. Uh, if you can't find anybody, then I guess you're all coming to my house. But uh, don't, uh, don't miss out on celebrating this life uh, alone. All right, bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, we're going to, uh, just before everybody leaves, we're going to have the Kenya team uh, up here, and we're going to pray over those ones. So those of you who would like to send us off, myself, Dean, and Sue, and Trinity, we're going to be heading out to Kenya tomorrow. We'll be gone uh, for about a week and a half here, two weeks. So uh, thank you so much for praying for us while we're gone. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday, May 4th. Amen. Don't forget these flowers up here. Grab a flower. Give to somebody who needs hope, life, new beginning.